I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Initially, there were two ways. First one was pure call center model. I'm a list of customers I want to recover from. I just call the people and remind them for payments. That's one model. The second model is name shaming. Um, where they use, you know, your pictures, post you to groups, share your data with your contact. Um, and both of them were working simultaneously because they needed the call center to do that. Um, and then in some other cases, they were done internally by the lenders themselves doing the name shaming themselves. When I was building collections processes for a bank in Africa, my team on the ground used to laugh as they spoke to me about some of the tactics employed by their less scrupulous and less regulated industry peers. One I remember was the big yellow car, emblazoned with debtcollectors.com or something equally conspicuous, which the collector would park in front of the house of the delinquent borrower. Then they'd just sit there, maybe reading their newspaper for a few hours, allowing the social embarrassment to really seep in before they got out, knocked on the door, and attempted to make a payment plan. And we had to aim the stones we were throwing their way very carefully, because we knew that the military brass would sometimes use morning parade to call out their soldiers who were behind on our loans. It was not ideal. But I'm embarrassed to say now that I just kind of ignored it. Today's guest did not. B-Freeze founders had become deeply unsatisfied with the available credit collections options which they thought mostly thrived on humiliating customers. So they decided to build a more customer-centric approach, one that leverages ethics and technology to lead customers sustainably out of debt and onto a path of financial freedom. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Moses Moore, you are the co-founder and head of product at BeFree, where credit management meets innovation and ethics. And so we're going to talk a lot about, well, debt collections and how to do that in a better way in the modern economy. But before we get into BeFree and what you're doing there, I had a look at your, your LinkedIn profile. You've got a very broad experience from sort of telecoms to hotels and now more recently into financial services. So let's start a few steps back. Maybe talk to me a little bit about your career and your life and sort of what shaped you into the founder you became. Thank you for having me, Brendan. So yeah, I think that being birthed into an average Nigerian family, my dad used to work at the airport as a civil servant. As a family, we had to move across cities a lot. I was born in the northern part of Nigeria, so my parents actually do speak fluent Hausa. We left Kano in 1992, just because of a riot, a religious riot that just broke out. Nobody could stay in that area. So we left there in 1992 and moved to the village, so in Delta. But yeah, that's, you know, some of those things basically how, you know, it was easy for me to, you know, move from one place to the other. My nicknames growing up was the roach, the cockroach, because I 
kind of like got used to things quite quickly. Um, adaptation was not a problem. And this is like something that I've been like into my work life. My first experience ever was an accounting clerk um, at an accounting firm in Lagos, um, Howard Daffinone. Then from that, I went into a call center. I worked with MTN. From MTN, I moved to Hotel St. He started as a call center agent. But because I was also technically sound, I actually had to be the guy who set up the call center there with the hardware and servers and you know systems generally to make these calls. So they're quite quickly in five months, I was already head of the call center um, there in, at Hotel St. A couple of years later, I was then made to sort of begin to manage sales. As the roach that I am, I think I did a really good job. After spending three years at Hotel St. then I had to now take a leap of faith into financial technology. So at this time, OPE was just beginning to come into the country. It was the first time they had set up office and I was staff number eight. And I was told to come and build the business development team. So I joined business development. But quite quickly, we understood that the product we wanted to sell at the time was not ready for the market because it was not up to par what they had originally. So we were trying to sell Gateway. So we had to like do a rollover and say, okay, let's just do something that is easy. Then we started the agency banking. What was the spark that got you from the environment you were in where you were doing a lot of this founder type problem solving to say, no, actually, I want to start this business that addresses the problem of debt collection rather than say something more inherently sales driven. So while I was doing all that I was doing, right, including my move from OPE to um, Femony and then to Pudi, it was always Yes, it was sales, but I was also doing a lot of product research. So this means that I learned how to interact with customers who were using my product. This is also because, like I told you earlier, OPE had no product market fit. So the only way to get product market fit was to use the sales team to do a lot of research, field research, customer research, user research, to get what was in the markets that they didn't like and they wanted to change. It had given me a lot of perspective to know how do I know what a customer really wants? How do I, you know, put myself in a customer's shoe? So, you know, the platforms like Opay would hand a POS and an agent or a merchant a POS. It's a device where you, you know, use your card for payments. They hand them that device. But then these guys are going to usually be in areas where there are no banks. And you know how outside those kind of environments can be the you know, that some of them in the creeks, some of them in villages, some of them in these kind of areas where my family had to run out from. And there's something called debit error. The card is debited, but transactions is not approved, but the money is out of the account. In Nigeria, you could wait up to three months. In fact, I have had to, in one of my travel experiences, I've had to wait six months to get my money back. Now, imagine being that agent in that city where there is a Moses who went to withdraw 20,000 there my last money in my account and then I was debited and the money wasn't paid out to if Moses was like a chieftain in that area. I would not have peace, right? So as a salesman, in as much as I was a salesman who was always supposed to be pushy at all, what, I needed to also understand what was the problem that I was possible for them, right? And try to solve that problem. Now, wearing this new hat for me as a salesperson had already prepared me for what it was going to look like when I moved to a company like Femony. And if you look at all three co-founders, we were actually all at Femony at the time. Um, and we moved out just to go do this. When I got into Femony, um, and then the COVID era just hit, 
we basically began to see one new thing, basically, which was that the guys who were doing collections for us at the time were just still doing collections like it was 2018, where customers just needed a call for them to go and remember and get to go and make payments. They did not need you to help them structure payments, you know, create a payment plan. They did not need you to help them with, you know, any education of, or, um, of any sort. They were not in any mess whatsoever. Economy was fine and everything looked good. But when COVID hit, it, it then meant that people were borrowing more. But then the, the NPL rates as well were growing because people were not paying back. The stories that we used to have before, which is, oh, I forgot, um, oh, sorry, I'll pay tomorrow or something like that was different. It's now a case of, I don't have money. I've just not, I've not eaten. I've not been able to feed my kids. The money I have right now is not enough. Don't worry, I would pay, you know, X, Y, Z time. So he gave us a new idea, which was, how about we show these people how to, yes, you have failed the first time. Why not just split this thing into, you know, small patches that can allow you not struggle too much, but be able to actually like get yourself out of this debt as quickly as possible. And that's what, what bettered, you know, the, the free thing. But like, when you look at, you know, all of the, you know, whether I was doing sales or user research or um, product research at the time, it already started building me towards becoming the founder that I am today. Maybe if you could set the scene generally across the market, what would have the context been? What would have the normal sort of collections experience have been for consumers that were owing money in debt? Initially, there were two ways. First one was pure call center model uh, or BPO model. I have a list of customers I want to recover from. I just call one of the BPO. That's one model. The second model is name shaming, which is an idea or a method or a model where they use you know, your pictures, post you to groups, share your data with your contacts. Because during the known acquisition period, you had already shared consented to, I need my, you can take my log, you can take a message. So they have access to all of that data. So they begin to reach out to your contacts. So it's name shaming basically is the second model. Um, and both of them were, you know, working simultaneously because they needed the call center to do that in some cases. Um, and then in some other cases, they were done internally by the lenders themselves doing the name shaming themselves basically. Early in my career, and I'm trying to think this would be sort of 15, <laughs> 17 years ago, I worked for a bank in Kenya designing collection strategies and the employees in the bank would sort of be laughing at what else happened in the market. So we wouldn't be doing directly, but the sort of stories that we would hear then were, I guess, pre-smartphone name and shame tactics where, you know, a very obvious yellow car would park in front of a house for a few hours and then come and knock on the door for us for money or there'd be a list up on the door at church or the staff meeting on a Friday would read out names of people who owed money on the staff loans. And it was quite a common practice. And, you know, in... Other markets, some of the customer protections in terms of data uh, privacy helped that. But I think there was still that mindset of not it's fair game, but certainly the customer in collections is a is a lesser customer. And it's interesting to see how quickly you were able to move that mindset. So let's talk a bit about how you reimagined that process to be more in favor of the consumer. What does your collections process look like now? The good thing about how we started was that we had real-life data or had real-life access to actual customers to do this entire experiment. They were customers who were owing our former employer and we needed to create a model to see how collection would look like if we were more humane and, and we were ready to help. 
So at the time, it was actually like we were doing it in the field. So it was face-to-face, basically. We had people in the field who would go meet these customers and sit them down and educate them and say, oh, do you know that this money you are owing is already X number of days? So let's say 120 days. And we could help you get this thing out, but you have to find a way to structure out this payment. And let me give you a typical example. Some guy takes a 100K loan, 100,000 there loan, right? He was supposed to pay in six installments. He didn't pay the first installment. 30 days later, he didn't pay the second one. 30 days later, he didn't pay the third one. You know, till the sixth one. So over 180 days, he didn't pay any one of the installments. Now, when the call center from these lenders will reach out to the, to the customer, they would say, you are owing 100,000 naira plus the, you know, new interest. They'd be like 120,000 and we need you to pay now. There is no consideration for whether that guy had that money now or he would ever have it in the next six months, basically. Instead of actually like helping that guy structure it, doing it in so up to a one-year period, but within that one year, you would have recovered all of that money or even, you know, see the path towards recovering. Because sometimes when you structure these things for these customers and say pay in 10 months, in six months, they are done, usually. Because some of them now, when they see that you constantly follow through with them, they basically now say, we just double up on this speed and then pay, you know, to the end of it. We, we tested it in the field and the we ran it for, um, you know, four weeks. And we were doing, the team in the field was doing 40% better than the team that we outsourced. We had already thought that it was going to work, but this was now double validation that this thing was going to express me. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah. And let's maybe talk a bit more about the Be Free business. So when you went out on your own and you started your own business, what was the reality of that like? And what was the founding journey in the, the early days of making Be Free? I can tell you for free that it's not easy. <laughs> um, I think that when you, when you kind of like see other founders and you are the employee, you basically do not understand why your salary is delayed, uh, why finance would say the MD has not signed the check, even though he's, he's in his office. He's probably just thinking about his life that if I sign this check, there might not be another check next month. But yeah, it was a reality because we also started fully bootstrap. We didn't close the round till like March the next year. So we had to like run from August up until March fully bootstrap. So I was, you know, very technical. So it meant that I made the cables at the office. I laid the network cables at the office. I set up all the computers at the office. You know, luckily, there was a colleague of mine who we used to work together. He used to work in my team. He was a telesales agent. 
in my team. I just hired him and said, so come and join me and you can help with, you know, maintenance basically. But generally, it meant that Moses as the roach had to like make cables at the office, set up the network, get the ISP ready, get the servers at the office, set them up basically and fix everything and make sure that calls were going basically. Um, and even for the software as well, right? It meant that the CRM needed to be built. Our first CRM was built out of a spreadsheet by my co-founder, who is like a really good, you know, Excel Excel guy, um, Julian. You know, as a founder, basically, what I can say is that, first off, it's not easy. Um, but yeah, it, I think that if I was given the opportunity to do this again, I still would. I like the adrenaline, um, so I would do it again. And I think back to my day, fraud and collections often... The manager there is sort of an ex-policeman or somebody who believes in that sort of firmer approach with their customer. Maybe they might be a bit reluctant to try somebody new. How has it been? How have you experienced that? How is Be Free growing? Are you seeing more people accepting that your your approach can work and does work? So the advent of push and pull on social media helped brands to see the need for customer retention um, and customer attention, basically. So it's already had created a perspective or created a platform for us to go discuss with new partners. In the first five, six months of our setup, we already had three of the biggest lenders in Nigeria. Today, we have right about, in fact, all of the digital lenders in Nigeria, we have, um, and some of the biggest commercial banks in Nigeria. So yes, that would give you an idea of, you know, what reception is like for us. When you do speak with even the commercial banks there and you tell them what your practice is like, they will say, oh, damn it, we have been looking for somebody who does collections that way. In fact, that sales funnel, I didn't expect that it was going to be that way, selling with the commercial banks. Some of them are even shorter than three months and to close a commercial bank in deal. The first one we actually did was around about seven months, which was long. But immediately after that was done, the rest of them were a lot shorter because we didn't need to tell a lot of stories. When they hear that you've already closed with one commercial bank, they just want to go and call their banking friend and say, oh, these guys say they work with you. What is their work like? And even now that we are going into debt buying and stuff, it makes the conversation a lot shorter and you know, further to have with. But yeah, reception is pretty good. Um, this is because nobody wants a bad brand. Nobody wants... You know, those days they used to say... Bad publicity is good publicity, right? These days, nobody wants bad publicity. Uh, whether it is big bad or small bad, nobody wants it. So, and what we do today is best, you know, for both the partners and the, you know, customers themselves, right? Yeah, because you talked earlier about the debit issue and, and how if you'd got it wrong for a chief, then you're going to have trouble. But today, you don't know who's got that influence online. But you leveraging AI quite a lot to automate the process as well. So, good old-fashioned efficiency savings for the uh, the cold-hearted accountants among us as well. 80 to 90% of the collection activity is done without anybody having to sit in front of a laptop and try to format documents and try to upload to info, to send SMS, and send emails. The structures and systems of webflows or workflows um, within systems like Temporal, which is what we use today, to structure communication across a particular period for a customer, do A-B testing for those set of customers as well for what kind of content was best for them. In fact, our content ed- engine is as big as it can get, right? So the entire process of how a data gets from the CRM to an agent's phone call is not manually done in any way because like, immediately the data gets in, 
the call center knows which people to actually handle things to. You basically have built a system that has lesser headcounts, not just on the agent side, but also on the operational side as well. The faults in that entire process would be as minimal as possible because like there is no human, you know, attention to it really. It's yeah, if there are like issues, there are issues that you can actually like know where the issues um, appeared from, but like mostly everything is like purely automated content generation, the content approval process, the data upload process, the messaging purely workflow driven and because we are also able to like tell which people should be called which people shouldn't be called which people should get an sms which people shouldn't, shouldn't get an sms what kind of cost do we want to approve for this kind of guy which kind of cost do we want to push for this kind of guy you already do cost control within that same entire you know workflow process or ai not just best practice for the process itself but best practice for collections and also best practice for costing yeah, so Moses, obviously, as you've said, you're not just doing the, the collections anymore. You're also expanding into to more related areas, one of which you mentioned there is the debt purchase. Uh, what is your approach to debt purchasing? So today we already launched with a couple of clients of ours we already currently do collections for. So right now we are actually now buying the debts to own them. But yeah, we already launched in, in Nigeria and in Kenya as well, the debt purchase process. We now acquire the debts they become ours, and then we collect those debts to be able to recoup whatever fund has been invested. We are currently purchasing you know, debts as you know, young as 180 days, 120 days, to as much as 8,000 days, 1,000 days, right? So, but then this is also on the premise that we are sure that we'll be able to get our money back. So we basically pay that gamble to go and do the purchase and then collect um, afterwards. But it's new in Africa, right? So it means that we, we have to, on our own, build a process around it, educate our partners. We are typically right now the first doing digital debt purchase in Nigeria and also one of the few doing it in Kenya. Kenya is a more advanced market, one of the few doing it in Kenya. Um, so yeah, it's the first batch we just acquired recently and we intend to expand on that um, as quickly as we can in the next couple of months. If you know the market, you can make all of this work, and there may be a lot of the risk that exists there, or the perceived risk, is from bad systems dropped into place from abroad, maybe heavily dependent on sending out letters in markets where addresses aren't really great. And maybe it just does require that putting faith in local teams that to understand the market, you can actually make it work. I think it's eye-opening to see it, refreshing to see that just because it's three years written off, uh, a, a proper approach uh, means you can actually get that money back or a significant amount of it. And typically it plays out to one of the things we want to achieve, which is that lo- long run, if these lenders themselves see that they can actually like sell these loans, it means that the interest rates would you know, go down a little bit. If we get to the point where we are able to, like it happens in advanced markets, buy even before the loans are disbursed or right before they are disbursed, then interest rates would go a lot lower because the lender themselves know how much they would get if the person doesn't pay at the end of the day. And it only starts with the first step. Us, this is the first step. We intend to, as much as possible, be the entire circle, basically, of lending and borrowing and collections and all of the other 
areas that we intend to include in the tokenization, which we'll probably speak about at some point. But you mentioned there the tokenization. Talk to me about what you're doing in tokenization and, and what you think it could mean for the market. Let me start with what it would mean. So what's tokenization within the lending space would mean would be that somebody who, you know, just has one in the bank and wants to make it safe and secure um, and still have interest on it and not have to like worry so much could go and actually buy token that would represent maybe 50 people's loans in one market that they do not need to go. And that asset is stored in the, in a stable coin and that stable coin reflects how much that person has invested. And at the end of the day, the person gets their money back, including their interest. And if they choose to reinvest, they reinvest. So there's no loss really because for them, it is safe investment. The only thing that will probably affect it is the value of the currency. So it's not the coin itself. So it's the value of the currency. So if dollar inflation happens or pounds inflation happens. But then what this also now means for the market is that lenders themselves can now lend more. They can now have more liquid, more assets to do whatever they need. They can now expand because they are sure that there is money to expand and then there is money that they basically would get even before it becomes a problem. It creates that kind of safe environment for not just small lenders, but also for really big lenders who do not mind giving you from zero days, basically, or one day default, basically. And our job here is to ensure that we've used the technology to ensure that collection is done properly. We are able to give you that interest to promise to you. We are able to do collections well. Um, apart from that, also, like, it tried whatever we if people are listening and they like the idea of this token or they just like the idea of seeing kind of AI-driven, humane collections happening in West Africa and East Africa, markets maybe they're not so familiar with, where can they go to learn more about Be Free and to keep up to date with your story as you grow? So I think one of the best platforms would be our websites. Um, but also if they want to like have sessions with us from time to time, they can actually like reach out to any one of the co-founders, um, Julian usually is like the guy who understands finance a lot and can actually like fuck through, you know, most of these things, even a lot better than I. But yeah, our website is bfree.io, B-F-R-E-E, that's B-F-R-E-E.io. That's how I got a hold of you. It was a cold reach out on LinkedIn. So I've been through the process. They were very friendly to me. So <laughs> you can take their word for it. Uh, Moses, thank you so much for your time today. It is a very exciting project. I'm going to definitely keep my eye on. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show, and I'll see you again next Thursday.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 